Hello, and welcome to The Canadian Story, where we discuss what Canada is, what Canada could be, and what Canada should be. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to The Canadian Story. Thank you so much for being here. Today, we are joined by Chris Griffin. Chris, welcome to The Canadian Story. Thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate being here. We appreciate you taking the time to talk to us. So, Chris, could you please go ahead and just talk a little bit about who you are, uh, what you think about, what's going on with your life, and uh, what your background is? Oh, very well. I'll give you the short version so we could talk about other things. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, uh, I grew up on uh, a sustainable farm uh, from about 8 to 16 years old and um, didn't realize how important that would be until this time in my life. Um had a very eclectic life. Uh, I'm from the United States. I lived all over the United States. I've lived in Vermont. I've lived in Cape Cod, Massachusetts. Uh, I was born um, in the Appalachia region of upstate New York. Um, lived in New Orleans, lived in New Mexico, lived in California, lived in Vancouver, and then made my way out to Prince Edward Island and my husband and I uh, own a small hobby farm here. Um, I have a background in uh, design. Uh, I was a lighting designer for a very long time. Got into uh, art direction, uh, production design, um, worked in film, and I still dabble in that on occasion. Uh, but right now I'm running an Airbnb and growing all of my own food and living off of two and a half acres, 100%. Amazing. Amazing. Um, what made you choose Canada over the United States? I've never made that choice. Mm, fair enough. I've never made that choice. Yeah. And in fact, a lot of my friends are pulling me right now saying we, we really need you in back in the U S and, I've got a lot of friends here who say we really need you here, and I and I, my heart gets tugged in both directions all the time. Mm -hmm. um, of all the places that you've, uh, say like let's say we exclude where you currently are now. Of all the places that you've lived, um, what was the best one in your estimation? Oh, everything had its own absolutely intrinsic, beautiful offering to give. So I, I could never uh, pick a favorite, you know. I, I'm I'm not that kind of person. I uh, I lived in a um, community, uh, an intentional community in New Mexico, which which was outstanding. Um, I learned a lot about uh, consensual government um, and uh, working and living within a community where, where people work together. So, so that skill has served me well. Um, worked a lot with, sorry, I live at a farm and I got a fly flying around my face. <laughs> That's okay. No, um, worries. Worries. That it rem it reminds, it reminds David and I of our, uh, grandma Taylor's place. She was, she was on the farm. There. <laughs> Just call me grandma Chris, right? <laughs> so, 
So yeah, I, you know, New Orleans was absolutely fantastic when I lived in uh, Louisiana. I might not have added that to the list, but but yeah, I lived in Louisiana. Um, I worked there uh, as a lighting designer and production manager for years. Uh, that was outstanding on a cultural level. Um, and that really uh, helped me to understand um, the beauty and absolutely every single person that is around. I mean, people are just freaking amazing. The individuality of, of people, I think, is something that needs to be highly embraced um, and sought after as well. Uh, independent thinking and, and um, you know, self-creational um, living, you know, and, and really following uh, your hearts and, your, and the dreams that you have within you, I think, is very important. Uh, when I lived in California, it was... Uh, spacey and uh very uh different environment and and yet you know that was also an incredible place to be because it had um a, a spiritual culture um that that kind of you know tuned in with things that i had learned in new mexico uh you know working with uh people who are you you call them in canada first nations we call them native americans in in the states you know whatever people prefer is fine. Aboriginal people. Um, uh, Vancouver was really hard for me in, in the sense that, um, I've never been a city person. And, and I think when I lived in new Orleans, it was offset by the fact that there was so much culture there that it, that it was really thriving in a artistic fashion. And there, there's something beautiful about elegant decay being all around you, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, however, Vancouver, uh, being the city that it is, you know, I got to see kind of like a darker side of Canada in terms of, uh, the poverty, um, the, the treatment of a society's most vulnerable, uh, is, you know, definitely a telltale sign as to how we're all doing as a society. And I was like, Whoa, you know, that this is, little bit shocking. Um, even by new Orleans standards, uh, it was shocking for me. Um, you know, a lot of drug abuse there, but, uh, I also lived in a incredible Punjabi neighborhood and could go downstairs to a multitude of markets and get fresh food every single day to, to make and, you know, befriended, uh, this incredible community and, uh, you know, I, I could go across the street and get, you know, food that was, you know, excellent cuisine from a multitude of countries. And um, I lived on Fraser Street for anyone who's wondering. And mm-hmm. I absolutely love that. And, um, you know, the idea that you can catch a sky train and go somewhere, you know, um, and pretty much land anywhere and walk wherever you needed to go was fantastic as well. Um, and I also spent time out in the wilderness there. Um you know, uh, on Vancouver Island and, um, kind of searching out areas and, and the beauty of that area is incredible. Um, did some filming out in Hope, BC as well. And, um, a few other places. Uh, now I, I was always a Northeast girl because I, I, you know, I mean, my sister lives in Maine. Um, you know, we have our own Maritimes in the, in the United States as well. And so, um, it felt very comfortable and very familiar, uh, seasonally, um, because I, I grew up in snow. I'm a bit of a Viking as you might see. Um, so, you know, I've kind of, you, you know, when the, when the snow is falling from the sky, I'm breathing in really deeply and smelling the snow and, and 
you know, wondering, you know, right now I, I was looking outside and we just have a powder and I'm like, oh, I can't go cross country skiing yet, you know, but it's coming, <laughs> you know, it's coming, you know, and, and I'm really excited about that. Um, but I learned how to grow in the four seasons in the Northeast and, um, having landed here, it, it, the familiarity of that is, um, has really helped me in terms of, uh, seed saving and, um, understanding, you know, when I was a kid, I would, I would hang out at a sap house with, with these old timers and, um, listen to all their old stories and, you know, go fishing in the middle of the night, you know, and in small lakes and, you know, getting bullheads and, and bass and things like that. And I had my, my small game license when I was just, you know, a little kid, I, I think I was like nine years old. Um, my dad taught all the hunter safety training courses. And, um, so I, you know, I grew up with an understanding of responsibility around, um, animals and farming and, um, got a real deep sense of stewardship over what the land is and, and, uh, how it can affect your being as a person. Um, so I, I was, I was happy to, to leave Vancouver so that I could ground myself um, more deeply into that experience. And, uh, PEI ended up being the place. Yeah. Amazing. That's a, that's a great segue. Um, stewardship and farming and, um, respecting the land around you. Uh, you started a project called Freedom Farming. Do you want to tell us about that? Yeah, Freedom Farming. Um, uh, freedom Farming uh, kind of evolved by itself. And I, you know, a, a lot of people say that I'm the hub of it, but, but I won't go any further than that because I, you know, yes, I'm the one who does all the social stuff on the computer and I'm the one who spends the most time on it, but it's, it's a, a community of people, very able people who, um, we have 140 families now that are participating, um, just incredible individuals, um, all highly skilled from everything from canning to butchering, you know, I'm going to be having a sausage making class here, uh, tomorrow actually, um, with a couple of good friends are coming over and, we're making Canadian goose, uh, lamb and pork sausages. So that'll be a lot of fun. Nice. Um, we're, 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 we're sharing skills with each other. And, um, I am the place where the barter trades happen. And, um, I'm kind of right in the middle of the islands where um, my husband and I live. So, um, and we also have, a, a large parking lot and then there's two other parking lots across the street so we can fit everybody, you know, everybody's cars, and still they line up down the street, you know, which is pretty amazing. Um, and it's a country setting. So, um, you know, people come and they bring their, their goods and we barter and trade with each other. Um, you know, uh, we have, uh, midwives in our, in our group. We have, um, uh, Dr. Laura Braden is in our group. Um, we have people who are uh, highly skilled at alternative energy resources, um, on a technical level. Um, you know, so we're playing around with turning generators into, um, capacitors for solar panels so that you can hook your generator to your house straight, you know, put this solar panel generator goes straight to the house and he's the power goes out because, um, most of us, uh, don't have the battery capacity and that's difficult to find it. We're also playing around with the idea of Tesla batteries once all those cars die. Um, which is happening right now. So we're all kind of excited about that. Those, those are great batteries, those lithium batteries. Um, so yeah, everyone's got a, a bunch of different skills. You know, I, I 
personally, I, I've been kind of a jack of all trades myself. So um, my interests are everything. <laughs> you know, I'm interested in, in just about everything that there is. And um, right now, like I, I um, do my own uh, tanning. I um, have my own uh, pork that I cure. I make my own bacon. I smoke my own meats. Uh, I have, uh, you know, chickens and ducks and guinea hens and uh, rabbits and sheep and two big, furry, gorgeous, over 100-pound each livestock guardian dogs that are, you know, absolute sweethearts. Nice. And three cats. So I'm busy. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, run run the BB downstairs. Um, but winter's kind of my time and everybody's time to you know, cause we're a seasonal business area here. So we, you know, kind of all focus in and I'm also a visual artist and I play music. So there, there's a lot, you know, of time I don't have. So I'm, I'm trying to, you know, organize my life in a way that I think is going to, um, create space for me in order to use as many talents as I can. So I'm, I'm happy that I'm giving, um, a lot of time back right now to our community because we need it. And, um, we have a lot of, um, work, uh, ahead of us. Um, and you know, our goal is to create a different type of economy and ecology around that so that we have a, um, a sustainability going for us in the future, because, uh, I believe we're going to need it in the very near future and already, with uh, inflation and the prices of gas, um, we're already seeing that. So we're, we're also looking into growing our own feed, um, things that we need to do in order to keep it going. Um, a lot of us follow a great channel called Ice Age Farmer, which, you know, has a lot of updates as to what's going on with, you know, poultry plants exploding, you know, like all the insanity that's been happening, um, you know, beyond just, I, I don't know. I don't know which insane topic you would like to, talk are, about are, but there's a are, lot <laughs> are poultry plants exploding is that a thing oh, oh yeah i think what is it more food processing plants or food creation plants have burned down in the last year than in the last hundred years oh that's interesting yeah it started about two years ago and it's been um it, it really accelerated i would say probably about six or seven months ago wouldn't you say so, David? Yeah, yeah. And, and um, I, I have I know people who've gone down to the states to look at all of these plants to verify them themselves. Elected officials in Canada, I won't give their names. This is, this is all true, folks. Like these these things are happening right now. This is not a rumor, a myth. They're burning down. Yeah, yeah. And I and I have friends actually who work in um, who are part of our farmers group who work at the. Uh, Larkin poultry factory, um, which is local here. And I actually worry about them. You know, I tell them to, you know, be mindful if there's strangers around the property or anyone you don't recognize. Um, because, uh, it, it is, it, we, we've lost already one of our meat pr- processing plants here on the Island. Who would have how'd thought? That, how'd that happen? <laughs> yeah. They're, it uh, just burned down, man. It just burned down. <laughs> wow. Hey, you know, wasn't, wasn't that happening to, uh, to plants that were manufacturing like ivermectin and stuff like that too, like a year or two ago, I remember hearing uh, the that. Hydroxychloroquine uh, That's plant. The one. Yeah, um, that one got uh, that one blew up, I guess. And uh, naturally, yeah, that one I know for sure. I'm not sure about uh, ivermectin, but uh, hydroxychloroquine is a. Um, I mean, that's a big deal. That's called Sunday Sunday 
you know, in Africa because people take it every other Sunday in order to, um, you know, keep themselves from dying from malaria and everything else, you know? So yeah, it's a pretty, uh, it's pretty intense what's going on. Um, how are you guys doing? When, how, how have you uh, been dealing with all of this? David, do you want to go first? Oh, yeah, man, I haven't well, spoken to David I, before, I think so I'd love to hear from David. I think I've taken a little bit of a different, uh, let's call it tact. Uh, while I agree with everything that you're doing, I grew up uh, on a farm as well, sort of an acreage more or less. And, and as Zach said, our, our grandparents were farmers who I would say basically grew all of their own food, all of period, end of story, chickens, everything. So our mothers raised us to be gardeners and hunters and fishers and, you know, be sustainable nice. people. I've focused more on trying to preserve at least a bastion of freedom uh, politically, which I'm trying to build here in Alberta. So uh, obviously we got rid of Jason Kenney because of what he did. And then we brought in Danielle Smith and and went and took over the board of the party and, and are, wow. are building out protections in that way. But I see Alberta personally, I see Alberta as the place where we make our stand. We have all the water we would ever need, all of the energy we would ever need, all of the, uh, and we're, we're pretty defensible here, right? We got the mountains to the back. <laughs> we've got like the Arctic to the North and then we've got America to the South. It seems like the place to kind of build the resistance if there has to be one. Cause well, frankly, the, the problem we're facing is that it really does seem like people are trying to harm our food supply. Like I believe that. So yeah, so we need to do something about that. And I see Alberta as a jurisdiction that that can really focus on the people. Yeah. They're, they're hiring these new inspectors um, on PEI right now um, to, um, have the authority to go onto people's property and to oversee in case something happens in a medical emergency. Um, you know, because you know, those medical emergencies where well, you one, have one to, moment. where you have to call off, you know, like a hundred chickens or 5,000 or 10,000 of them have been happening. Um, so they say all over the place and, and that's really unfortunate. But yeah, we, we're, we're a bit worried about that as well. We've got uh, a lot of, uh, uh, you know, small farms here. And, you know, of course, now they want everyone to register their farm so that uh, they know exactly who we are and where we are. And um, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. What pressure is that? Um, they, they want you to register with the government. Like, what does that look like exactly? Well, there's a form online that you're supposed to fill out and um, that will have, you know, all of these questions as to exactly how many animals you have, what type they are. And um, therefore, if they say there is an avian flu or something, they can just show up and call your birds, get rid of them. And of course, all of these things are done by faulty PCR tests. So... You know, that that's really fair. Now, I, I know that um, through Laura Braden that um, they're cycling our PCR tests at, you know, uh, at least 40 cycles. So they're they're not valid. <laughs> to, so, sorry to clarify that your your PCR cycles, meaning um, tests that they're running in 
uh, like out east in, for in COVID. the labs on on humans and animals are being cycled. At so 40. both are being cycled at forty. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. unbelievable. Okay, so for some of our listeners don't uh, don't know what cycling means or any of that stuff, can we can we build that out as an understanding? So so um, what you know, and, and I'm not a doctor. I, I am not a doctor. You know, so uh, they what they do is they um, a PCR test is um, basically you can swab anything with a Q-tip um, in a sanitary fashion. And it will collect all of the molecular structures that happen to be apparent, including in the air around you, whatever, you know, happens to be around. And so if you do it on a, on a specific surface, so like they're, they're doing PCR tests up the nose in human beings, um, it's the same as a DNA, DNA test. You know, you, you, you are grabbing mo- molecules with, within these tiny little um, uh, they're like a, the way that the Q-tips are made is is that they're they're these tiny little uh, tubes that actually scrape and and pull off tissue while they're being spun around in your nose, and then that gets put into a plastic bag and then it gets sent to a lab. When it get, goes to the lab, um, what they do is they they grab that genetic material and um, your genetic material. Um, can have everything in it. So, you know, if there's any viruses, um, there's going to be a DNA uh, cellular alignment to that. And they can look for anything they want to on that Q-tip. So if you cycle it uh, and it, it goes exponentially, if you cycle it, say like 20 times, then you're going to get an idea of what living material could be in there. But when you do any kind of thing um, with cycling, um, it can even pick up partial molecules that are not not even fully formed. They can even be dead. And the more you cycle it, it will pick up more and more and more and more. And anything after, I believe it's 30 cycles, it can be anything, basically. So it could be something that you smelled through your nose um, last year, and there happens to be a tiny little piece of a dead virus in your in your nasal pharynx that um, was a COVID virus and um, or one of the many, you know, thousands of delineations because there are thousands, thousands literally now. Um, it could be, you know, just a tiny little particulate of that. And by the time you get to 40 cycles, I mean, it's it could be it could be just anything. It could be anything that even was in the air when you pulled the Q-tip out of your nose and put it into the bag, you know, it's, 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 it's a done deal. You can, you could look for probably, I don't know if I smoked pot like a year ago, you could probably find marijuana positive on that Q-tip, you know, like, you know, just from doing that. So it's, it's that kind of a test. It, and the more you cycle it, the, the easel, the more easily accessible, any kind of little bit of matter could be, you know, uh, found and you know it will it will test basically positive for anything at forty cycles. So, okay, so let's let's put the the metaphorical tin hat on. Why, why? Because scientists are conducting these tests and setting these thresholds, um, mm. these these cycle thresholds. The logic would follow that they know that forty cycles is too high. Um, oh, they do. They do. We, we so, have someone in our group who actually is one of the people who has um, worked in the labs and um, 
is one of the testers. Uh, he's a husband of actually one of one of our one of our uh, very active members, and um, yeah, they know it's not right. They know it's wrong. They know it's not what they were taught in college. So then, what is? Do you think? And perhaps you have to speculate, but what do you think is the motivation for doing that? What is the rationale? The rationale is that um, they were given um, a cycle threshold that they're to use and they follow directions from their bosses. It's that simple. Um, you have a boss and your boss says to you, um, you're, you know, you've got a family, you've got kids, you've got a boss, your boss says to you, um, we've, we've been told, uh, federally, or we've been told provincially that, um, the tests and, you know, in our case, it's Heather Morrison, um, from health PEI. We, we've been told uh, to cycle these these tests, at a, and this is what we're going to use as the standard. And everyone goes, "Huh, that's funny." Okay, and they do their job. So, so go higher up the ladder. Then, what is Heather's motivation? I wish I knew, man. I, <laughs> <laughs> you know, now you're getting into some like deep water here. I, I That's really where we like to do be. Not, <laughs> I, I don't understand what the motivation is of um, a lot of these people. I, mm-hmm. I, I don't understand. My, I mean, my <laughs> I collected over 700 studies peer-reviewed. We're talking from the Lancet. We're talking um, New England Medicine of Journal from Cell, uh, you know, that show adverse reactions as well as the dangers of mRNA um, injections. I, I put them all on a thumb drive. Um, I made 50 copies and then we bought the real Dr. Fauci book uh, by JFK. Um, and we, we put it in a package and we delivered it to every single MLA office on the island. And they all got signed for, so we know we got the information, you know, we, we got all of that, but when we go to the meetings and we bring it up, nobody has read the information. Nobody now, to, to be fair, that is pretty common. I've, I would say politicians are, are very lazy people in general, having worked for them for many years. They, yeah, they don't right? actually tend to do their homework. I'll tell a funny story. I, I won't name names, but I remember we were sitting in a committee once and uh, the staffer from the prime minister's office came and, and he said, well, okay, this is how we're going to go through this report. This is our, our strategic objectives in this committee. This is the information we want to get out. And all of the MPs got in an uproar and they're like, you can't tell us what to do. We're the members of parliament on this committee. We, we, we want to read this. These are the things we want changed. And, and you know what? And he said, you're right. You're elected. You're the representatives. Okay, I'll go change those things. I'll go work on it. I'll send it to you. We'll have another meeting and we can discuss going forward. So five days later, we got back in the meeting room and they were up in arms again. And they're like, we're the elected officials. You shouldn't have told us what to do. And he said, OK, good. You know what? I went back and I worked all weekend and I send you the package on Monday. It's Tuesday now. Uh, who's, you know, gone through their package? Not one. Not one. I actually yeah. read them. So to be fair to them, there's that. But I think there's perhaps more than that. I'd like your thoughts on this. I think really what it is, is that to say that something's wrong with the vaccine is heresy in our modern world. And so they won't, they, 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 if someone says it, if someone says there's something wrong with the vaccine, they immediately write us off as crazy. We're not even taken seriously. We're not, 
we're not addressed as normal people anymore. Well, uh, my, my, my husband's really stubborn and um, he continued to go to meetings and um, we have one MLA now that is willing to talk about it because he is vaccine injured. And the other thing that I've noticed is that this population that was very, very um, quick to judge in the last three months, they've start to, started to get very silent. And um, they're starting to you know, invite us over again and ask us very delicate questions, kind of like, you know, inside rooms when no one else is listening. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it's, it's really, really strange. And, um, and my heart is really going out to these people because, uh, I, I know so many people now that have what I would consider to be vaccine injuries, in, including a 16 year old boy who has myocarditis right now. Um, you know, I, I, I cannot tell you, I, I mean, I, I used to hear about someone with the shingles like once every seven years or something. And, and now I, I can, I can't count on all my fingers how many people I know that are coming down with cases upon cases of shingles. Um, which is very painful. Um, my husband, um, who <laughs> he's an engineer, but he's a car mechanic <laughs> right now um, because we live on Prince Edward Island. It's really hard to find a good job here. Yeah, but, yeah there's not a lot uh, of jobs <laughs> in general, right? <laughs> but but you know, at, at a at a local run um, car shop where all the locals come in and they talk. It is every single day now that they talk about somebody new who's had a stroke. Every single day. Um, it used to be on the islands, and and I've lived here for um, oh boy, time's flying. I've lived here for almost twelve years now altogether, and uh, maybe once or twice a year you'd see an ambulance in your local area. And it was kind of scary because you knew if you saw rurally an ambulance going down the road that it was somebody you knew um, nine times out of 10 because we have a small population of um, only 150,000. So you know your neighbors really well, you know, and most people live in town. And when you live in the country, you know your neighbors really well. Um uh, yesterday and i was i was even talking to philip my husband about this today um just driving into town i saw three ambulances um if you try to go to the hospital for anything um a girl that i know of uh, cracked her head open day before yesterday there was no room in the hospital for her to wait she had to wait out in her car she was passing out um bleeding all over the place um, nobody tended to her. She got there at one in the morning. Um, they finally took a look at her at 1 AM or uh, eight in the morning, excuse me. So this is becoming very typical here, um, on Prince Edward Island. Um, the hospital, um, I think it's called West hospital, which is, um, up West. We, we talk about everything here up East or up West. Uh, 
closed down because they didn't have enough medical staff to support the hospital working itself. And so they moved the staff to uh, QEH, uh, which is Queen Elizabeth Hospital in Charlottetown, um, in order to help them there because they're so understaffed. This is just the beginning of something that is a very um, disturbing trend. Now, we've always had issues with long wait times and things like that going on. But, you know, what what is it, 80 doctors now in Canada um, have died suddenly Um, within the last seven or eight months? I mean, this is really concerning. I mean, because we have a a health system here that is... um, you know, funded by its citizens, you know, and I'm going to say things the way they are, not the way they like to say it. They like to say provincially funded, but this is all funded by citizens. Taxpayer dollars. Taxpayer dollars. Exactly. So, you know, citizen funded hospitals and people can't get treatment. However, we're sending money to the Ukraine. We're sending money to, um, I mean, the pharmaceutical companies have basically bought out our entire health system. So it, it's kind of like the, the CDC and the FDA in the United States. You know, it is now just an advertising arm for the pharmaceutical companies. So it, these are long laid plans. I mean, these are, these are things that started out with people in medical school learning how to treat symptoms rather than holistically looking at patients anymore, you know, which is why you see these awesome older doctors going, wait a minute, what's going on? You know, and yet the younger doctors, you know, are, are just like get vaccinated. And, and I say, no, you know, if I'm going to, if I go in for a check, I'm like, no, I'm not. And, and I'm like, well, here's a, a thumbnail drive of 700 studies, which I've read. Why don't you read these? And then you get back to me and you tell me when you become informed. And, and they just look at me like dumbfounded, you know, like what could she possibly be talking about? But what's, what's getting me is that I think, you know, when I'm watching what the CDC and the FDA are doing right now, which is backtracking and um, all of a sudden, uh, the FDA is saying, oh, no, we never said you shouldn't take ivermectin. <laughs> you know, we never said that. <laughs> you know, that's the, that's their new thing. And the CDC is suddenly saying, oh, well, you know, we, you know, we, we, we were making suggestions. We weren't, you know, mandating anything. You know, like, you know, that's not up to us. We're not going to take the fall on this. They're doing it just in time, right before this winter. And then we have all of these weird sociopathic politicians saying, all you people are going to have the worst winter ever, <laughs> you know, and that there's going to be all this illness and, and all the hospitals are going to be flooded and it's going to be because of you unvaccinated people, right? Yeah, and- they're still saying that. They're still saying it. They're still yeah. saying it. Fauci, Fauci was just on yesterday. Said that. <laughs> it's unbelievable, right? Yeah. I mean, what do you think about that? I mean, and and the only people I know who have been incredibly healthy are the people that are in my farmers group. And what scares me the most is that 
this separation, which is happening on a social level between ourselves and our neighbors and our families and, and the things we we've got to bring ourselves back together as, as a whole community. We can't be splintered any longer. You know, we can't be going vaccinated and unvaccinated, you know, over here and over here and be splitting people up because we need each other. We all need each other. And what bothers me is that this very fascist speak, you know, mind speak that's been going on has, has been, it, it, it has been pulling people away from each other, um, racially, sexually, uh, you know, over the medicines we choose to take, um, you know, over the type of food that we want to eat. Is there, in fact, anything that you can think of that in some way isn't going to be offensive to somebody else in, on some level? And yet the thing that makes us all so beautiful is our individuality, you know? So how can we kind of unpack all of this and then repackage it in a way that humanity is stronger, more resilient, and more tolerant at the same time. Mm. Those are my questions. What do you guys have any ideas on that? Starts by listening. Um, it starts by talking less and listening more. Um, and what I mean by that is listen to people who you have disagreed with. You might not disagree. I mean, the 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 beautiful thing about what is happening right now, the silver lining and all of the mess that we are watching is that the people that you were maybe directly opposite of a year and a half ago, you both might have come a little bit back towards center. And I hope I hope that's the case. I, I know at least in my own life, in my own situation, I've watched that happen a lot because right. no matter what the, the stupid talking heads like Fauci are saying, the actual sen sentiment within the community, within the people around you is changing. And the way yes, that you make sure that happens and the way that you make sure you grow forward through that is by listening to other people and shutting up and not talking about you and saying, so let's say you're an unvaccinated individual. And let's say you were a staunch unvaccinated individual. Your responsibility now, as far as I'm concerned, is to make sure that you are on the same page with as many vaccinated people as possible. Because having friends right now is way more important than winning out arguments or trying to be right. Bring a little humility to the conversation, shut up and listen and hear what their experience is. And it would go this, it's the exact same thing for people who did take the vaccine, uh, talking to people who didn't. Both people made a decision for a multitude of reasons and to pretend that it is um, boiled down into one simple black and white factor is incredibly foolish to believe. There is nuance, there is detail, and there is humanity within all of those decisions. And if we can capture Absolutely. that, if we can capture that with the people around us and begin to make allies again, I we can heal the country. I truly believe that. Yeah, I, think I, 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 it, I agree with you. Yeah, I think I see it uh, very similar to how Zach's pointing it out in that I think also like, when we talk about uh, the vaccine injuries that we're seeing, 
I think in some ways we do ourselves a disservice, right? Because even if we're right, and we we can't be positive, right? I think we're right. It looks, all the evidence I've seen is exactly what you described, Chris, is that people have been hurt by this product. The number is unknown, but it's larger than we're being told. That's my belief, right? However, if you took it and all you're hearing about from a certain group of people is, how bad it is and how it has to be stopped and, and the, and the pain and the torment it's caused a emotionally, you're going to, most people are going to avoid that person because they're reminding them of a decision they made that may have hurt them. And we, we avoid people like that. Generally speaking as humans, we don't like to be reminded of, of something that we did that we maybe don't like that we did. So that's one. And I think the other thing that happens a lot is, I mean, if we are right, then they may be in danger, right? And 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 they, there's nothing they can do about it. Um, and I think that also is a very horrible thing to contemplate that, that most people aren't going to want to contemplate. So in my own life, I've I've kind of stopped talking about my perspectives on uh, the vaccine, not because I don't think that what we're saying here is true, and not because I don't think those things need to be raised, but. But what we really need, and I think is that what Zach's pointing out, is we need those people on side with us and immediately confronting them with a horrible reality is not a way to win allies, if you know what I mean. And, and, and plus, I mean, if, you know, think back to that weird relationship that you had with someone that you trusted who, you know, when you, when you were being gaslit, you know, and what it felt like, the embarrassment, the absolute shame and embarrassment of like, oh my God, I can't believe I was, I was in this relationship for that long. Or, you know, how, how was I so stupid? Or, you know, the things that come up in your head. And do you want to talk to other people? No, you want to hide. You want to just be like, this didn't happen. This did not happen, Right you know, I feel okay today. So I'm going to hope tomorrow I feel okay too. And I just want to live my life and pretend that this never happened. Um, but they're not going to go get another shot. And that's the one thing that I've been noticing the most. Um, the one thing that most people have been saying, and, and Philip and I, I have to say, I'm, I'm really proud of both of us because we remained open-hearted through this whole thing. And, you know, yes, we were incredibly angry at Trudeau and Fauci and, you know, Tam and all the other ones. And, you know, like, you know, like, you know, the sociopaths in charge, basically, you know, yes. And, and I do think that they need to be held accountable in some in some fashion. However, we remained open hearted. So people felt they could speak to us, whether they were vaccinated or not vaccinated. And we had people calling us up on the phone and saying, hey, you know, are you guys going to be, um, you know, getting any th of the vaccines? And we'd be like, no, we're not. And we're like, well, we consider you to be bright people. And we just wanted to know what your reasons were. You know, we got a f quite a few of those phone calls. And um, I, I mean, we had family members that stopped speaking to us. But then they started speaking to us again. You know, it, 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 that went for a while, but you know, and, and of course, you know, because we care, we're going to 
be honest and we're going to say, please, please don't do this. You know, we're afraid that you might harm yourself. And, and I think it's really important for you to, to, you know, look at some other information and, and be aware before you, you make a decision, which could affect you for the rest of your life and affect your children. And, you know, and they didn't listen and that was very painful. Um, but at the same time, I was able to speak to them about it. And I'm, I'm really glad I was able to do that. Um, and they are wondering now out loud, you know, I, I spoke with my sister on the phone and she was like, wow, Christy, really, they, they're, they, they're censoring people, aren't they? Oh yeah. It's oh, like, we don't, yeah, we don't have, do we don't like, have Laura, to have been doing that, that for years. Zach and I've literally had <laughs> our videos with Laura Braden and McCullough taken off YouTube. Oh, wow. Well, yeah. you know, well, that YouTube, yeah. you know, of course. Yeah. 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 Well, congratulations. You know, you're, you're part of the, you're part of the club. So yeah. Well, yeah, it's almost a badge of honor when you like post something on Instagram and they put a warning on it, right? You're like, ah, okay, good. Oh, uh, good. Yeah, I, I'm I, over I, the target. <laughs> yeah. I got tossed off of Facebook really early, um, in the run and, um, you know, and then, uh, when I got my account back going, you know, cause at first it was like, you know, you know, disinformation, disinformation, you know, all the, all these things that are, you know, going down there and then, you know, like, you know, you were reported for something or yeah. Anyway, I, then I, then I just went back in and, uh, eventually, cause I, I stopped using Facebook for an entire year because I was so angry. And then, um, I ended up, uh, just canceling my account. So I actually don't have any social media accounts at all. Um, so, you know, when people are talking about Elon Musk or whatever, I'm kind of like blissfully unaware of the clown show, you know, and, and, and it's been really lovely, you know, and, you know, I just go out and hang out with my dogs. Yeah. Know? What, and, what does, what does true freedom taste like? Tell us about this. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, you know, you wake up in the morning and you feed chickens and, you know, you you know, grab buckets of water. And, um, I, I've, I've been meditating again, you know, I have the time to do other things, um, you know, that I think are important things, you know, I feel very grounded and, and the, and the things that I, you know, I've got one channel that I use, um, on, on a, I guess you would call it a social media platform. It's, it's a messaging service. Um, and that's for the farmers group, but besides that, that that's it. You know, um, and all we talk about, in fact, I, I, it's a rule on that channel that we, we don't talk about politics. We just talk about farming and sustainability and prepping those, those types of things, mm. um, in order to keep that as kind of like a sacred space for all of us so that we're not there. We, we will post, um, something like, uh, if there's an event going on, uh, where, um, other people of like mind, maybe, maybe going like, well, we'll allow an event sharing, but you know, besides that, that's it. You know, there's no, so we don't get the spam, mm -hmm. you know, and, and, you know, you, you can go to anywhere you want to and, and find as much as that as you care to digest. So it's, it's nice to have one place that, um, that I have to be on a day-to-day -day basis that, that does not involve a lot of that clown world that is, um, a lot of fear porn, you know, a lot of, um, 
you know, the vaccine's got amoebas in it. And, you know, no, it's graphene oxide. No, it's this. No, it's that. You know, it, it's, it's, it's mRNA and it's untested. For me, that was the reason enough not to take it. Yeah, that's something that our community and our Simple side of me. our side of the aisle really needs to be careful of is um yes, it, it's okay to acknowledge this was, you know, probably not tested as much as there, it should have been. And um it seems to be that there's a safety signal that we should pay attention to. But a lot of people um, fall into constant paranoia um, because you can go, I mean, everyone knows, you can go on the internet and get any information about anything that you want and confirm whatever opinion that you want to have. And, Absolutely. And people spend their whole lives freaked out every day about everything. And that's it's it's a dichotomy that I even struggle with myself because you want to draw some sort of like balance and and push and pull between being aware and knowing enough about what's happening to try to react to what's happening without going so deep into the rabbit hole that you become dissolute and depressed and and freaked out and paranoid all the time and it's a it's a funny balance to try to strike but that is something i notice all the time people people let themselves lose control by going too deep and too far, too fast and too often. And um, it's interesting. So uh, for the listeners, they, they won't know this. I spoke to Chris on the phone yesterday. And uh, at the end of the conversation, uh, I asked her to text me her email. And she said, oh, I don't have a cell phone. I went, what? <laughs> you don't have a cell phone? <laughs> and I, I, know, I know most people in our day and age... Um, can't yeah. probably can't or or unwilling, let's say, to conduct their lives in that manner. Um, but there is something to be said for unplugging and reining in your emotion that I think is really, really beautiful and really, really important right now. I love not having a cell phone. <laughs> when I um I've got a landline, right? When I get in my car and I drive somewhere. I don't have OnStar. I don't have, you know, like some, we've got some cool cars here. Don't get me wrong. Like, you know, my husband drives an MGB, you know, it's like, yeah, you know, like we've, we've got, you know, we're, we're into classic old cars and stuff, but there's something about having a classic car. You don't have this stuff in it you know, this GPS telling you where you're going or, or, you know, you're, you're using your mind because you're driving on the road and you're not, you know, popping in whatever your Tesla thing is and, you know, no longer using your driving skills. Um, you know, you're, you're using your whole body because you're, you're, you know, you've got a stick shift and, you know, uh, you know, maybe not even any power steering, you know, um, there's, there's like a, a beauty to it. And I don't have anyone calling me while I'm driving and nobody knows where I am and I can go anywhere and nobody's tracking me. And I, you know, do my groceries and whatever. And I, and I spend time most people are looking at their phones while I'm in town 
but I actually speak with people and make sure that I make a, a social connection with whoever the the guy is behind the counter or, or, you know, whoever the lady is, you know, who, you know, I notice things like, you know, oh, wow, she just dropped her grocery bag on the ground. I'm going to help her pick it up, you know, or this person over here, you know, they, they just got their coat stuck in their car door. And if I don't say anything, all the, you know, the salt and the mud and everything's going to ruin that nice jacket, you know, and I'll just knock on the car window and be like, Hey, did you, Oh, wow. Thank you so much. You know? And you kind of, and then you watch other people a lot because you don't, you're not watching something else constantly. And you watch people who are just, they can't put their hand away from their phone. It's, it's like attached and, and they're just, you know, constantly on it and they've got plugs in their ears and they're, and they're like, it's, it's like crazy people talking to themselves while they're, you know, walking down the road, but they're not, you know, they're talking to, you know, and they're probably not crazy, but you know what I mean? It, it just looks like really strange. Once you unplug it, you start to recognize kind of like a weirdness in society that's going on that maybe wasn't so apparent before. And I, I found that really interesting. Mm. Yeah. It is interesting. Um, so we're closing in on the end here, but I wanted to get kind of oh, what... I feel like we just got going. Man. I know, I know. We, we, we <laughs> do know. our best. We do our best to keep it to an hour. We try. We, we have, we have at, at times not met that obligation, <laughs> but like we just like to think of our listeners' time as well because we, we really respect the uh, attention that they give us, which is hours of their time every week. So we, we want to make sure that we don't take three hours. I think it's time. fantastic <laughs> that, that you've got you've got people who are willing to do that. I, I listened to a couple of the longer podcasts on uh, the internet. Dark journalist is one of them. And, um, you know, like shout out to them, but it, it, they can go for three hours and I, I have to knock it down um, because I always fall asleep because I do it, you know, right before bedtime. And then I fall asleep during them and then I have to, you know, rewind. So you know, each episode I have to, it takes me about a week to get through. And then when I finally do, there's a new one out. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, and we, we just, yeah. Anyway. So, so what, what I, what I wanted to say is, um, I think you have a very interesting perspective. One, because of your background. Two, because of kind of how unplugged you are. Three, because you've kind of, um, crafted and created this community around you. And you're an individual who is very plugged into and very aware of what is happening, not in Ukraine, not in the European Union, not in Brazil, which is, you know, all the all the hot pieces that are happening right now. You're plugged into what is right in front of you. And that's really, really important. And so the question I want to ask you is from that perspective of, we'll call it an engaged community member, what can we be doing as citizens right now to be taking care of each other and to aid this healing that our country needs to do? Oh, um, first and foremost, um, try to get every single person you know to at least grow tomatoes. Anything. Grow, grow something. Start growing something. Um, 
this is one place where everybody can meet on the same page. Uh, if you're an environmental activist, um, if you're all hot about global warming, then you might as well be growing your own food. If you are a person who doesn't believe in climate change whatsoever and you're a prepper and you're out in the woods somewhere and you feel like you should make a bunker, you need to grow your own food. If you are a person who is somewhere in the middle and has noticed that, wow, it's getting harder to feed my family, gas prices have gone up as well, and I'm having difficulty putting nutrition on the table, you need to start growing your own food. Everybody can do that. And I'm talking about people who are in apartments can do that as well. Um, you know, there are so many different things that you can find this, the internet, I mean, I'm unplugged, but I'm on a computer right now. So I obviously own one, right? It, the internet is absolutely fantastic. I mean, you, you can go in there and you can, you can take PVC pipes, fill it with soil, punch holes in it and plant enough strawberries that you can have enough to freeze, you know, over the winter. I mean, there are no excuses. It doesn't matter if you can only grow indoors. We've got people in our farmers group who live in apartments who have taken their closets and just put in growing trays and are growing fresh food all year round in them because it's a controlled environment. I mean, you, you can grow your own food and we really need to start doing that because um, we are in a food crisis. We are entering a very large food crisis and I'm not, I'm not going to eat insects. I'm sorry. You know, like I, I would like to have the option to, to have some decent food on my table. So, um, you know, don't give in to that, you know, to them telling you what you can eat as well. You know, like, you know, hold on to your food sovereignty. And if we can all come together on that one issue, that's an easy one. That's a really easy one. And, um, you know, stop listening to so much. The second thing I would say is, is to get off your cell phone, leave it at home, leave it at home and, you know, and give yourself an allotted amount of time that you spend on the computer and spend more time with your family, with your kids, with your pets, with your animals and ground yourself so that you're, you're, you're giving yourself the amount of time that it takes to walk across the street, check on your neighbor and start to start to build your community, you know, say, Hey, how have you been doing this year? What's up? Bring a, f excuse me. I was about to swear, bring a pie over, you know, <laughs> go back to the basics, you know, make, make a batch of cookies and, and walk it over, you know, like do something nice, you know? And, and seriously, like this is, when when I talk to people now, they they are they're seriously like you know I got I got people giving me free bagels and stuff like that when when I go into town because they're like you're so nice and it's like well I want to be treated well so I need to treat other people well right you know people have forgotten that and we we need to be nice to each other just be nice. You know, and, and then we're going to be able to have conversations. That's how you build up trust. And then that's how things proceed. You got to be nice. All so right. th th those are my three things. Grow food, make some cookies, bring them to your neighbors, start your community relationships and be nice. Yeah. Be nice. Be nice to the people around you. Start with basics here because we've lost the basics entirely. Yeah. Yep. 
Well, thank you, Chris, for your time. We really appreciate you being here. And uh, we hope we hope we get to do this again sometime. Oh, anytime. Anytime you'd like. I mean, we I'd love to get into some deeper conversations about like anthroposophy or something, you know, that would be. Yeah. Oh, well, we, we have repeat guests uh, often and I'm sure, well, I'm sure we'll bring you back. I have no doubt. <laughs> oh, that would be lovely. Um, it was great meeting you, David. Um, thank you so much. And, you know, I hope that we get to talk again and Zach, thank you so much for your time and um, for the time that you take uh, both of you out of your lives to put this together and to, to try to, to show something that's going on organically in this society um, with other people is such an important people to do. It, it's, a, it's an important thing to do right now um, for, for other people because uh, you know, there's a lot of isolation that's happening right now. And what you guys are doing is helping to bring people together and, and maybe giving them the courage to go out and, and start building some community for themselves. So thank you so much. Thank you for listening to The Canadian Story. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at The CAD Story. That's The CAD Story. If you enjoy this podcast, please share it with your friends and family. Let's work together to remind Canadians how great their country is.